singing in here this morning. Patrick's doing a fine job, and so are the rest of you. The singing sounds wonderful. You know, we've been kind of doing a little bit of a series. It started kind of for the, for the kiddos, but then I realized, you know, this is something that's uh, it's good for all of us to be able to be reminded of these things. Uh, about two weeks ago, I believe it was, we did uh, Is There a God? Last week we looked at um, Can We Know That There Was a Resurrection? Um, did Jesus Raise? Are There Proofs for the Resurrection? This week we're going to further that series and we're going to look at the idea, can we know God? Okay, there is a God, but can we know God? What does it mean to know God? And so that's really the premise for today's lesson. And it's an important, uh, it's an important uh, lesson because, first and foremost, do we live in a time where uh, people are, more, by larger and larger numbers, no longer believing in the God of the Bible? And more and more people are turning away from God, turning away from organized religion. More and more people, people are becoming agnostics or atheists. And so if you look at the percentages in this country, uh, it is, it's a much lower percentage now uh, that believe just than even just 10 or 15, 20 years ago. If you look at, uh, you know, for many years they would do these uh, uh, Pew Research and, uh, and different ones, they would do these different polls. And... I think I, I, I told you that a, a recent poll showed that uh, where it used to be 87% of Americans believed in the God of the Bible, now that number is just below 50%. And so what is the problem with that? Well, are we not called to be disciples of Jesus Christ? Are we not called to take the message? Doesn't Mark 16 and 15 say, go? Take the message and go. Go where? Go into the world. But now we're going out into the world to a people that necessarily don't always believe in the God that we believe in or don't know who God is. Because the Christian families in this country have become, have, over the last couple generations, have been getting weaker and weaker. Weaker in knowledge, weaker in belief, weaker in practice. And so the question, can we know God, is a very important question because I would like to contend that too many times we assume that the people know the God of the Bible. So this morning I want you to open up to Acts chapter 17. That'll be one of the first main passages that we're going to look at. It's a long passage and we're not going to be able to pull it up on the screen. But we'll get to that here in a few minutes. So Acts chapter 17. Uh, but as you're turning there, I want us to think about how many in the world attribute to God characteristics that they want to see in God that they're willing to worship? Think about that statement. I mentioned it during Bible study this morning. Too many people in the world that call themselves Christian are only willing to worship the God of their own creation, meaning that they want to put God into a box of their own making, meaning that, well, I believe and I think, and so if your God, same Christian God, doesn't match up with my eternal beliefs, well, then he's not my God. Have you guys ever heard of something similar to that? And so we try to then attribute to God characteristics that we want to see in him if we're willing to worship him. It doesn't necessarily work that way. And so this goes back to Wednesday night's Bible study where I made the statement that many times we try to hold God to our distorted view of human rights. Well, where does the idea of human rights, oppression, justice or injustice, right or wrong, good or evil, where does all that come from to, be, in, to begin with? It comes from the God of the Bible. But is the God of the Bible just some inanimate object like many of the gods that are worshipped? Or is, as we sang this morning, God is alive? 
And how appropriate was that song, Patrick? Because I didn't know you were going to sing that song. And that's, that's, the, that's the first thing that we're going to look at this morning when we look to answer the question, can we know God? But when we study out the original Greek text, we need to understand that there are two types of knowledge in the original Greek text. The first one are facts that we can know. The second one is uh, stuff that we can know through personal experience, right? And so when we think of facts that we can know, it's facts about persons, people, places, things, right? And what we can know about the facts that we can know. Well, the first one kind of falls on deaf ears because he's not here, but Patrick Dans, he was my first example. You know, I know that Patrick Dans, I know he's a member of the Lincoln Park Church of Christ. I know that he's married to Nicole. I know he's an English teacher at Allen Park High School. I know that he likes golf, even though he struggles. And so it really kind of fell on deaf ears. You know, my joke, my, I had a bazinga for him, and he's not even here to accept it. And so he'll, you just tell him to watch the video later. Say, hey, you made the sermon. You might want to check it out, probably about three, two, two or three minutes in. You know, but I think about that's the type of knowledge that we see in Scripture that's based on facts. But there's another one based on personal experience. You know, me and my wife were just talking about here recently, she's thinking about getting a sewing machine. And as we were talking about sewing machines and things like that, she's the type of person that if you just give her a sewing machine or some type of fancy electronic, one time I bought her this like really expensive camera because she wanted to get into photography. And Christy's like, thanks for telling my story. And, and this, this is very expensive camera sat in the camera bag forever because she was intimidated by the camera. She didn't know how to use it. She didn't know how to operate it. It intimidated her. Well, we were talking about a sewing machine here recently, and as we think about that, sure, I could open up the owner's manual. She could open it up. I could read the directions. I could learn facts, but I don't have any personal experience in utilizing it. And so if I read the facts on how to repair my transmission, I bet you I'm still going to struggle as I, as I dive into it. And so there's experience by facts, but there's also experience <laughs> by personal uh, experience, right? And I think about the, the, the you know, we, we, we get her the, the, the sewing machine, then she reads the instruction manual, and then all of a sudden, there's gonna be a problem, and now you gotta call in the experts, right? I don't know if you know it, but there's a, like a Monday night sweatshop almost, you know, at, uh, at Barb Rob's house, and you know, Barb and Karen and Butchie uh, and Diane, they get together, and it's not for playtime, it's not for instruction, it's serious business. I mean, these women, they know their machines in and out, and if Christy has a problem, that's who she's going to be calling first, right? And so these are the types of things that we glean from Scripture. You can have information by facts, but you also have information by personal experience. Why was it that when Judah had to have his office replaced, why was it that there had to be somebody who replaced Judah that had been with Jesus from the beginning? They hear the words, the facts, but they also experience everything that went along with it. They've seen, uh, they've seen the heavens open up. They've seen uh, God confirm that Jesus was his son and that he was well pleased. They've seen the Holy Spirit uh, diving down on him. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection. And so there's facts that we know by information, but there's also facts that we can know by personal experience. And so when we look at this information here, brethren, I, wanna, I, I say all that to say this. The Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 17, I hope you're there, we're going to start in verse 22, when he was talking to the people on Mars Hill, when he was talking to the people in Athens, this message clearly shows the importance of people knowing the facts about God before they can believe in him or worship him properly or accept, acceptably, right? 
And so if all you do is know, know of a God, but you don't really know God, you're not going to be able to worship him in the manner in which he, it pleases him. So Paul gets back to the beginning, because here in Athens, he's talking to Gentiles. They don't necessarily know the God of the Bible. So in, starting in uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 22, notice what it says on this, uh, or on the, in your text. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription, To an unknowing God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this God I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, their boundaries, and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might even grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each and every one of us. For in him we live and we move and we exist, and even, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, which is an image formed in the, in the arts or the hearts or the minds of mankind. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring that all people everywhere repent. That all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So you look at that passage of scripture right there. We see here, he, before he goes on to, to discuss more things, he had to set the record straight. He had to teach these people who don't know his God who God is. And so... Can we know God? Absolutely. Has God made himself known to his creation? Absolutely. Romans 1, 18 through 20 speaks of that. But the difference in their Athen idols, which were inanimate objects that they even had to dust off the figurines from time to time, the God of the Bible is alive. And he needs nothing from you. He needs nothing from me. And so we know that the true God is a living God. And, the God, and the, so the goal of today's lesson is to examine the facts that we can know from Scripture, which is the Holy Word of God, that is brought to us through the Holy Spirit, through the men who penned the Scriptures, over a period of 1,600 years, on several different continents, and yet we find no error. And so we look at these, these facts here this morning, brethren, and it's important that as disciples of Christ, before we could go out into the world, before we could teach others about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, before we could teach them about God, you might want to actually not assume that they already know the God in whom you're going to introduce them to. Because that would be a, that would be a large mistake in the world in which we live today. Because not all Americans believe in your God anymore. And so the point of this is very simple. What are the facts that we can learn from Scripture about God. Well, first and foremost, we just learned that God is alive. Remember what it just said in Acts chapter two, uh, 17, verse 28 and 29. For God, for in God we live. Understand that. In God we live, we move, we exist, as even if some of the Athenians' own poets had mentioned, 
that, that we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that his nature is like gold or silver or stone, something that was formed in the hearts or the imaginations of man, right? The Apostle Paul is telling these people that God is alive. And so think about his reasoning here. His reasoning is so very interesting because he insists that we can understand the nature of God by looking at our own nature. Paul quoted that the, from the Athenian poet that they, they, they even said that we are God's offspring, we are God's children. And Paul's logical reasoning is this. If we are God's offspring and we are alive, then we must come from a God who is alive. It says that God made from every man, uh, one man, every other man has come from. Every person in this auditorium this morning has, was, was, has, has come to, their, to the state of being through what? A living mother. And every person in here, if you have come to be as you are by a living mother, well then think about the first man and first woman, they had to come about by a living God. Because some inanimate object doesn't have the ability to form life and breathe life into their nostrils. And to give them a spirit. So if you are alive, then your nature, you should be able to tell that God is also alive because God created all things. And so as we think about this here this morning. What? A bug? Okay. I'm, I'm sitting here fanning myself. I see Christy down here going like this. I'm getting attacked by bugs up here. I, I happen to look down at Christy and she's like, I'm like, what, what does that mean? All right, I got, I got attacked by a ladybug or an Asian beetle. We'll figure out later which one it was. They look very similar. So if you were born from a living mother, and yet Adam and Eve, we know, were born of God. Amen? For God created Adam from the dust of the earth, and then he caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, took a rib, and formed a woman, and, uh, and formed the first woman out of Adam. And so we come from a living God. But we also need to remember, brethren, as we think about this, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, he also confirmed that the living God also had the wisdom to design the universe, the heavens and the earth and all that is in it. And so we, we worship and uh, serve a living God, but we also know that living God has wisdom, the wisdom to create all that we see in the heavens and the earth. But then we also know the scriptures tells us in the one on the screen behind me, when you look at John chapter 4 and verse 24, we know that it's said that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But there are a lot of Christians who they think about this idea of spirit, and they don't really fully understand what it means. So like, what does spirit mean? Is it like air? Is it gas? Is, it like, is he like Casper the Friendly Ghost? I mean, what exactly does it mean by spirits? Is it some mysterious or mystical object? I mean, what exactly do we mean by spirits? Well, God in his holy word, he helps us to understand what spirit means. Because in James chapter 2 and verse 26, it tells us in James, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith is without works. So you see, the, 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 the disciple James, Jesus' half-brother here, he explains that faith is separated 
from works, if it is separated from works, it's not a living faith. Just like the human body separated from the spirit is not a living body. So without faith and works, the faith is dead. Without the spirit, the body is dead. And so I want us to remember that we are so much more than a human body. Remember the passage of scripture says all they could do is kill the body, but don't fear them, but fear the one who could cast both body and soul into hellfire. Why? Because we aren't just human flesh. We have a spirit that resides within us. I want you to think about the body for a second. It refers to our human tabernacle, doesn't it? And if the body refers to our human tabernacle, do we not have the Holy Spirit of God that resides within us? Isn't that what we receive at baptism? Don't we have multiple passages of scripture that talks about how the Spirit of God resides in all believers? And so we think of the Spirit, and that refers to the part of man that is made in the image of God that we learn about back in Genesis. I want us to also think about the soul. Sometimes it's used, spirit and soul sometimes are used interchangeably, but sometimes they are used a little bit different. If you look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 on the screen behind me, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And notice what it says. And the man became a living being. But what's important about that verse is where it says being, became a living being, it's also translated, uh, it's also translated soul. The man became a living soul. So the word can be translated being or soul. So what is the point? The point is, is I want us to consider the difference between a person who was alive earlier this week then they get in maybe an accident or, or because of an illness, they, they succumb to the illness and now they, are, they died. And now this person who was alive is now dead. And today we, are go, we go to a funeral home and we visit them. And what is the first thing many times people will say when they go to a funeral home? It look, they look so peaceful. They look like they're just sleeping there, right? Why? Because the spirit had already exited the body. How often when you, when you hear that, I want you to think about the, difference, the differences between being alive and being dead. The difference between being just a human body, but a body with a spirit and a soul. Because ask yourself, what were the traits that made up the individual while he was still alive? Well, he possessed intelligence, emotions, ability to communicate. He possessed a conscience. He, he, uh, he had the ability to be able to, to justify or determine between right and wrong. Those are all characteristics of a spirit. Because as soon as the spirit leaves the body, the body can no longer do those things. But we also know that when we break this down, that the, if you're deceased, you no longer have that ability. But understand this, brethren, that these traits describe the inherent nature of the spirit that is within all of us. This is where we need to understand the difference between being... Uh, uh, immortal versus being temporary, right? The body, the flesh, is temporary. The spirit is eternal, that it's going to go on forever. You guys have heard me recently in the last six months talk about, have you really considered the idea that you're immortal? That you're eternal beings? Like, you're going to die. It's not if I die, it's when I die. We're all going to die, but then that's not the end. It's simply a transition from one state to another. So for all of us who have loved ones who have passed on recently, they've transitioned to Hades. They transitioned to Sheol. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the 
That's the place that God had created for, dis, for the disembarkment of disembodied spirits. Okay? And so when, the, when these disembodied spirits, they go to Hades, they go to Sheol, we know that the Bible tells us, brethren, that, that there is a, there's a great gulf that divides the two areas. And you're going to have, on the one area, you're going to have the righteous, and on the other area, you're going to have those who are in torments. And the one from one side cannot pass over to the other and vice versa. How do we know this? Because it talks about it, Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 16. And we know that the rich man recognized the poor man that was sitting at his gate, Lazarus. And he says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus over here that he may even drip some water on my tongue for I'm in torments. You see, when, we're, when our spirits exit our bodies, they don't die, they live on for eternity in one of two states, heaven or hell, paradise or torments. You see, before we make it to heaven, we end up in Hades. And while we're in Hades, we understand that there, the body has, um, it, it still has, the, or the, the spirit still has the ability to be aware. It still has your memories. It still has the ability to reason and to think. You see, because those aren't characteristics of the human body. Those are characteristics of the spirits. And if we, if we worship and serve a, a, a living God who also is spirit, like we learn about in Scripture, then we also, our spirit, has those same attributes, brethren. And so it's, it's, it's so important that we look at this. But how exciting is it to realize that when you die, it's not an end, it's a transition. Because the spirit that God breathed into your nostrils, like he did for Adam, uh, and breathed life into him, we know that that, that that spirit stays with him for an eternity. And so you look at this information. What else can we know from God in regards to the Bible? How can we learn about God without the scriptures? We can't. And so we know in the Holy Scriptures, we know it says that God is eternal. Romans 1 and 20 says, For since the creation of the world, brethren, his, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen and being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. We see here what Paul is telling to the people of Rome. We've seen already what Paul told the people of Athens in, in Acts chapter 17. It talked about the God who is alive, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created the first man, and that every man since then has come from Adam, and that we have all come from living mothers, and thus we have all come from a living God, and that living God is a spirit, and that spirit is eternal. And so we know this, brethren, because when we look at the scriptures, it gives us this information. You know, if you go back and you study out the prophecies, and one of the, one of the people asked uh, uh, God, he said, how can we know that if what is spoken of a prophet is true or not? How can we know it's from you? He says, well, if it comes true, it's from me. If it doesn't, it's not. And we know that God has prophesied things 700 years, 1,000 years into the future. And every time it's fulfilled exactly as God has commanded or as God has stated. And so, brethren, eternal is simply a word that means forever. Think about 2 uh, Peter for a second, chapter 3 and verse 8. When you think of the fact that God is alive, God is a spirit, God is eternal, that means that God is outside of time. Time doesn't affect God. If you have no beginning and no end, what is time? Time doesn't matter. If it takes 100 years or it takes 1,000 years, who cares? Right? Because you're outside of time. In 2 Peter 3 and 8 it says, 
But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Think about it for a second. We as human beings, are we not governed and controlled by a watch? Are we not governed and controlled by a clock? I mean, everything we do, we all, we're always looking down. Am I on time? Am I late? What time do I got to go? What time do I got to be there? We're governed by time, but God is outside of time. And so it's because of sin that our fleshly bodies are going to come to an end in the first place. When God created us, he created us to be with him forever. In the Garden of Eden, he didn't want to have to boot Adam and Eve out of the garden. He wanted to, uh, to, uh, to live with them and to uh, associate with them and to be with them. But sin caused the separation. So it's only because of sin that our physical bodies experience an end. But the spirit lives on forever. So brethren, what is the great news? The great news is that if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and live faithfully unto God, we will spend an eternity in heaven alongside God. How amazing is that? How exciting should that be to you that knows that it doesn't matter what happens to my body? And that's why oftentimes I don't think we look at death in the right equation. Sure, when our family member dies or a child dies prematurely or a young adult dies prematurely, sure, we're sad because we're selfish because we love our family and we want them to be with us forever. But at the end of the day, if your family member's raised up in the church or if they're a little child, they go immediately back to God. They immediately go back to God and they spend, uh, uh, they spend the rest of their existence in paradise until the second coming of Christ. When then Christ will cause the great division. Christ will raise up the spirits that are in the uh, spirit realm first. And then there will be that division. Those who are here on earth, when Christ comes, there will be an immediate judgment. The, the, sheep, the goats on the left will be cast into hell. Those on the right will be sent over into heaven. And so you look at this information here this morning, brethren. We need to understand that at the second coming, those spirits in Hades will then be resurrected and they'll be given spiritual bodies. And they will live on as angels that are serving God for an eternity. So before we go any further, we're going to pause the lesson here because we have quite a bit more to talk about. But we're going to get into it because this is really a two-part series. You guys know I don't like series, but there's just too much to fit in. And so can we know God? What have we learned so far? We've learned that he's alive, we've learned that he's a spirit, and we, and we, like God, also display intelligence, emotions, ability to communicate, conscience, ability to know and to choose right and wrong. That is why, uh, before COVID, I did a study on the Holy Spirit. And if you study out the scriptures and you look at the, the Godhead, you look at the Trinity, right, we assign kind of a personhood to the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And people have a hard time understanding that because they don't understand their own nature. Your, your ability and your intelligence, your emotions, your, your ability to communicate, your conscience, had nothing to do with your human body, but it has to do with that you're made in the image of God. Because God is alive, thus you are alive. God displays those qualities, thus you display those qualities. And those qualities don't end at death. They carry over and continue with you in your spirit form, even in Hades. Because we have that example written for us in Luke chapter 16. So brothers and sisters, lastly, we, we learn today that he is also eternal. And if God is eternal, we are eternal. Because that is exactly what the scriptures teach. Next week, we're going to continue on with this lesson to continue to look at God's nature. And we're going to look at the fact that he's all sovereign, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipresent, that God is love, 
and that God is justice. Hopefully I'll be able to get through it next week. If not, there'll be a third. So you get into this information. The question I asked you at the beginning of the lesson, going all the way back, is can we know God? You can't know God if you don't know your own nature. And so by understanding the scriptures, we can understand our own lives. And so, brethren, we're going to continue this on as we look, uh, look to it further in the next uh, week, maybe even two. So as we close this lesson down, if there's anybody here this morning, and you're in need of the prayers of the church because you're hurting. Anybody here hurting? Anybody here suffering? Anybody dealing with something? You could come, to, you could come forward here this morning. Your shepherds will be up here this morning. You could ask them for help. You could ask them for prayer. You could talk to them. We could set up a meeting with you, and we could help you in whatever way that we can. If you're here this morning, though, and maybe you've been away from the church for a long time, and you want to be restored, you want to rededicate your life to Christ, you can ask for that, and we'll pray alongside with you as well this morning. But you might not be a child of God. You may be here and still are in the, in just the, in the sinfulness of the world. But you want to dedicate your life to God. You have an opportunity to be baptized here this morning. You can receive the remission of your sins, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God will add you to the kingdom. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.